Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Marianne and Wanda. I'm Andy. And I'm Allie. What's new? What's new, Scooby-Doo? Um, that's <laughs> that's the real question. I, uh, I, there's not a lot that's new is what I'll say. We had Beer Fest last weekend in Mobile, which is always a fun time. Um, you like pay, like pay a flat fee and like 14 of the bars in the area will have a beer tasting of three different beers and you just like get a pour of each of them or however much you want. Hmm. Um, and that's fun every year. So we, me and a few of my friends went this year and we had a really good time. Nice. Um, and since then I've like just been working. I have to, uh, actually do some work for Jeff this week. So now I'm being paid by him instead of by, um, under like a TA position. Right. And so I've said, I'm starting and I'm doing an experiment tomorrow, uh, for him. So that's always, what was, fun, what was the best beer? Uh, Andy, like what kind was it? Andy, let me tell you. There is no beer that I have that's ever better than a red ale. Okay. That is like my that. absolute favorite kind of beer. Yeah, I like those. Yeah, well, they're really good. It turns out the counterpart colored ale, golden ale, uh, is not good, uh, in case you were wondering. So stick to the reds, not the goldens. What? Why is it not good? I, don't, I had The one that I had this past weekend was like... It had a funky flavor to it, and it almost tasted like a sour, but it definitely wasn't a sour. Like, it had that sort of funk to it. I don't know. Hmm. Is that the same? Is a golden ale the same as a blonde ale? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, I know I've had several blonde ales before at a couple of the breweries in Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'll, re- I'll remember that in case I decide I want to try a golden ale. I'll think twice. Oh, you know what? I actually, I just Googled <laughs> it, and it says overall a golden ale is simply a blonde ale going by a different name oh so there's it's slightly different but yeah. uh but in the same, the same yeah in the same yeah. general area interesting okay well maybe just the one that i had was funky who's to say yeah hmm. what have you been up to um let's see well i had to go see an oral surgeon today for my wisdom teeth and what? yeah so i had my top two wisdom teeth taken out right before I went to college. And mm-hmm. so they took the top ones out. Those were fine. They couldn't take the bottom ones out at the time just because like the, t- the both teeth were like laying on the nerve or something. So it was too risky. And they were just like, we'll just leave it. And if it ever gives you trouble, we'll reevaluate. Yeah. So I went back in because th- I'm not going to give any gory details, but it's getting to be a problem. Eesh. So I went back in and it turns out I had the top ones taken out almost 10 years to the day. <gasps> <laughs> so they were like, wow, like it's been almost exactly 10 years. It was like, that's so funny. I think it was like one week prior, I would have had them taken out. And then two days after I got them taken out, I left for college. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Cause it was right around end of August that we would have yeah. started school. But yeah, so they're going to start, well, I actually, (laughs) I made a mistake when I scheduled the surgery for Friday, September 22nd, not realizing that the next day is the Chicks concert. (laughs) (laughs) So I need to call them back in the morning and move that. (laughs) I mean, you can go to the Chicks without your wins. Like, if that's not the experience you want, we can give that to you, but. I don't know that I want to be on OxyContin for that. Hey, if you listen to my mom, you shouldn't be taking that anyway, so. Oh, Lord, Jen. <laughs> she, did I, did, do you know this? That when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, she gave me half of one and then said, that's enough for forever. And then I only was allowed to take ibuprofen after that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I think I, I, I mean, I know that they said the top ones taken out are much different, a much different experience than the bottom ones. But mm-hmm. when I had my top ones out, I think I took the pain medicine for like, the rest of that day and then after that I think I was fine and didn't need it but they yeah. said the bottom ones are usually a little more severe of a recovery mm-hmm. than just the top ones so we'll see but yeah I need to call first thing tomorrow and reschedule that because I was looking yeah. at the calendar and that won't do <laughs> that's so funny 
<laughs> are you are they gonna put you under or are you just gonna get them pulled yeah no no they so the way that they they had to do x-rays again and the the both teeth have not moved at all so they're still mm. like laying on the nerves oh. so they're gonna do like a partial removal where they like cut the top half of each tooth off and then they like stitch the gum closed over it and i don't know he, the guy mm-hmm. said that he does that all the time because i was like well it's not gonna like make okay. my teeth like like decay and then get infected right and he's like no not gonna happen so i'm like all right i'll take your word for it i hope not yeah, yeah. he said he does it like several times every week since the 80s so i was like all right i trust you <laughs> is this guy in lebanon or is he in somewhere yeah. else yeah he's oh, in okay. lebanon I was just wondering yeah. if you were going to the same one as me, but you're not. Yeah. Oh. No, he's the same one who did my top ones 10 years ago. So I figured I'll just stick with him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't have gotten worse, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I told him. I said they haven't moved at all off the nerve in 10 years. And really the only problem is now that the the gum has separated off of my back tooth on each side. So it's exposing the wisdom tooth. Yeah. Just, it makes it hard to keep it clean back there because food gets trapped in it. Mm. So anyway, the whole point is they're going to cut ha- like the top half of the wisdom tooth off on each side and then stitch it closed so that there's not like a gaping hole there for stuff to get trapped in there. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to get graphic and I did it. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, that's what I was doing today. Other than that, work's just been super crazy. Um, I have a craft fair on Saturday. Mm -hmm. so it'll be over by the time this episode comes out but it was the bluegrass and fall festival on the water Mm. square so that sounds like fun yeah hopefully it's nice weather i ran the kiln yesterday and i haven't even unloaded it yet so hopefully everything turns out good (laughs) yeah fingers crossed (laughs) yeah because that's what i all that that's all i have to sell this weekend (laughs) yeah yeah hopefully i didn't mess up by putting all my eggs in one basket in one kiln (laughs) we'll find out yeah Anyway, so what are we reviewing this week? I'll let you introduce it since it's a longtime favorite of yours. Yes, many, many moons ago uh, when I was but a wee child, I guess not that small because we met when I was eight. So not not wee wee, but um, that's still wee. Yeah, Uh, we had on VHS what I consider to be the good version of Cinderella, which is Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella starring Brandy. Um, and others that came out on November 2nd, 1997. And I just have, I have a very vivid memory of me kneeling in front of the TV cabinet that was in my grandma's room and pulling that VHS out and turning to you and saying, can we watch this please? And you yelling at me and being like, no, we're not watching that again. Again? <laughs> yeah. I think you like entertained me a couple times and then you were like, nah, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> Well, I wonder if that's because I was just sick of watching that one over and over, or oh, I on. really, I really loved the original um, animated Cinderella. I don't know when like, mm-hmm. that came out, but the original one, and so I always in the fifties. It just can't be topped. <laughs> that's funny because, like, I really hate that. I I haven't watched it in many years, but I remember like not really liking that version. Oh, really? I liked what? all the little mice and the nineteen fifty. Yeah. Yeah, so I always really liked that one. And then when I saw this one, I was like, what is this? <laughs> well, I think that's like one of the... I, what I remember most from the original Cinderella is Gus Gus and that cat, the stepmother's mm-hmm. cat. Yeah. And I loved those, but it's like, that's not the story of Cinderella. Like, why are we not talking about the human here? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just those were such lovable characters. Anyway. They were. And that's the reason why I call my mom's cat Gus Gus now, so. Oh. (laughs) Well, anyway, it was not a secret growing up that this was not my favorite version of Cinderella. (laughs) This was by far Allie's favorite version of Cinderella. But I actually didn't realize that it was called Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella because it has all of the music that Rogers and Hammerstein, I guess, composed together. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's all based on their music, but it's still the same Cinderella story. Yeah, it's been a long-running, like, theater production, and then they decided to make it for um, for the TV, as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did a little bit of background research on Rodgers and Hammerstein, because I didn't know who they were. 
Mm-hmm. So from breakingcharacter.com, Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II, they actually produced four versions of this Cinderella. 1957 was the first one, 1965, 1997, and then a youth version that did not actually have a date that I could find. <laughs> so I don't know anything about the youth version, but I think that was more of like a, a Broadway production, not like a, a filmed production yeah from what i understood but the 1957 version starred julie andrews and supposedly it was one of the first um big productions that she was in and it pushed her into the spotlight and helped her land the roles of mary poppins and maria in sound of music yeah which i didn't know that before this but that's cool to know that she was in one of the four versions yeah, and I've never seen that one. Um, I haven't either. I didn't know it existed. No, I mean, yeah, like, this is the theater production, and they've done this multiple times, but um, I want to say this is the only one I've seen. And it, like, should be noted, like, it's not, this one wasn't actually produced by those two directly. Like, it's their music, but it's now managed by their children and, like, I, like the Rogers and Hammerstein, like, organization or whatever who's in charge of their legacy. Right, yeah. Because um, they, they're dead now. Our... <laughs> um, and collectively, they have won 42 Tony Awards, 15 Academy Awards, two Pulitzer Prizes, two Grammy Awards, and two Emmy Awards. <laughs> Very prolific as a team. Yeah. They need, like, really big mantles on their fireplaces to house all those awards yeah. <laughs> I imagine if i if i was to ever win an award like that it would go on the mantle so i just, just imagine like both of them when you walk into their houses having mantles full of awards <laughs> i hope so yeah i don't know they, they're neat i like it whenever a duo teams up like that like rogers did all of the music composition and then hammerstein has done all of the lyrics for the most part hmm yeah um and yeah like i i just love that they're just like a classic duo and they're like you know what we got a good thing going here so let's keep it (laughs) (laughs) so they did the vast majority of the songs in this but there are two additional ones um that were sort of reworked for this movie um after they'd cast everything um and so they have like an additional couple of writers but it's mostly just those two and then I, so I went into a whole deep dive on this. Like I, I read an L.com article. I read a Shondalan oral history. That's essentially a compilation of every interview that the cast has ever done, um, which was very eye-opening. And I loved it if you have an hour to spend. <laughs> but the writer was Robert L. Friedman. And he's not done anything that we've probably really seen um, other than this. But he said that a lot of the impetus behind him um, and the changes that he made in this to make it seemingly like a slightly more feminist, like a more modern retelling of the story uh, was just because he had been talking to his wife and his wife was like, yeah, like the people we have to look up to from my childhood weren't great. So like we need some better role models for these young ladies. Um, And that's what he tried to do. Somewhat successfully, I would say. Yeah, that's admirable. Yeah. Um, it was directed by Robert Iskoff, Iskoff, um, who also did She's All That. Have you seen that movie? I I have seen enough clips of it that I know what it is, but I, ha- I don't think I've actually watched the whole thing through. I think I only recognize the cover of it. I don't know that I've ever watched it. So maybe we should put that on the list. I'm, I'm good with that. Um, and then most importantly, and a lot of like the driving force behind like the creative design of this movie was due to the executive producers. And the biggest one is, of course, Whitney Houston, who had been trying to make a musical for TV since she had seen Bette Midler in uh, Gypsy, which was a few years before this. And um, she'd like been pushing it and she'd been trying to figure out a way. And she was originally going to be Cinderella. And then her role changed over time. Um, But she had like a final say in everything creative over this movie. And like between her and Deborah martin chase who also produced the princess diaries and the sister of the traveling pants and cheetah girls which is like formative movies from our childhood right and like craig zadon like all of them um just like very much so like very influenced this movie and i think they did an excellent job yeah that's funny that whitney wanted to be cinderella 
at some at one point <laughs> yes and she she said that um when they finally started making it so it was like four years later or whatever um she said that cinderella needed a certain naivete and that's just not something that you have when you're 30 something which was the age she was at this time so it was like yeah, Whitney, yeah. that makes sense it's kind of funny though because a lot of teenagers now are cast as like 30 year olds or sorry, mm-hmm. a lot of 30 year olds are cast at, to play teenagers in today's in high school movies. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny but she, she wasn't having that <laughs> but she uh helped select brandy who was super young she was only 17 uh when this movie was made yeah so, like, I, so they there's a 25 year reunion special on disney plus that i watched and i thought at first when i was doing the math brandy was 18 but she was actually only 17 when she yeah. filmed the movie and part of the reason she got the part is because her voice is so light and dainty and mm-hmm. very, like kind of breathy and nasally that it really played into the naivety or whatever that word was you naivete <laughs> naivete <laughs> that she was the perfect one for it and just like the young innocence like she was able to portray that the best yeah and she really knocked it out of the park especially for being so young um a lot of the interviews that I, I watched with her, um, she she's like just such a bubbly person. But you hear her talk or people talk about her on set and they're like, Yeah, she like had like all of the like all of the hopes of all these like young black women on her shoulders and she knew how brave she had to be to take on this role and then she just like did such a good job and like Whitney took her under her wing and helped her with all the music and everything. And mm-hmm. I just think it's a very well made movie. Yeah, they they showed some flashbacks in the 25-year reunion special to them, like, working behind the scenes. And all of the different people who gave an interview for that reunion special talked about how Brandy and Whitney had this, like, incredible, unbreakable bond where Whitney just, like, scooped up Brandy and took her under her wing. And, like, the two of them were inseparable. Yeah, and it's really great for Brandy because she said that growing up she had always said she wanted to like be like Whitney Houston and have like a huge career. Um and she told the story that one day she was um she was in like the nosebleeds of a Whitney Houston concert and she talked her way all the way backstage with her mom and by the time she got there Whitney had already left. <laughs> her mom turned her and was like, "You'll meet her when you're at the top." Um and then she did. Yeah, And, like, from this point on, like, for the rest of Whitney's life, at least, uh, like, she definitely still mentored Brandy. Like, a few days before she passed, she was helping Brandy and another singer, like, get ready for a Grammy party that they were going to to sing at. Hmm. Um, so, like, this was, like, a very a lifelong mentorship that sort of sprung from this movie. Mm-hmm. So, one thing also that the reunion special talked about was the costumes. And mm-hmm. so we have in our notes that the costume designer was Ellen Mirajnik. Mirajnik, yep. You would say her name. And she was talking about the rules that she had to abide by. Mm-hmm. And she said that the, the costuming was really tricky because um, they wanted it to be unique so that it stood apart from all the other Cinderella movies. Mm-hmm. But there were certain rules that had to be adhered to, like, Cinderella is always known to have a blue ball gown so like Mm -hmm. she had to have a blue dress but like as far as the the beading and the sparkles and all the different designs and stuff Ellen had total freedom on that but there were certain rules like her dress had to be blue because that's what Cinderella is she's not known for wearing a pink dress it's a blue dress so some things like that she had to stick with quote tradition but a lot of she still had a lot of freedom to to make the costume fit the character especially for the the stepmother and the stepsisters she Mm -hmm. talks a lot in that documentary or sorry in the special about about how like she was able to fit the costumes to the characters that they were playing and just like really dramatize their characters even more by the different like patterns and fabrics and stuff like that that was cool and I really love what she she did for a lot of this. Obviously, uh, she did an excellent job. And I think that it complemented well with the set design because there's also a lot of color in the set design. Mm-hmm. But you never see them, like, clash at all. Um, and the set designer was Randy Sayre, I believe is how you say his last name. 
And one of the things that I read was that because they had such a diverse cast, they didn't want there to be like too much of an emphasis on all of their different races. And so um, they used like a whole bunch of primary colors, like especially in the opening shots of like the, the European town is what they call the set. Hmm. Like, there's a bunch of primary colors and just color everywhere and like nothing dull a whole bunch of saturation in the shots yeah did you notice though at the ball so many of the women who were there to dance with the prince were all wearing shades of like purple but yes did you notice that that's one of my favorite things i made a note of this farther down but like it's like darker blues and purples mm-hmm. almost exclusively at the ball except Notable exception. Yeah, the stepsisters who are in like green and pink, I think, or yeah. red. Yeah. And, and then, I, yeah. And then Cinderella in the light blue. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, man, they all have on purple. Mm-hmm. And it's really beautiful the way that they like toss everyone around um, and like all the flowy dresses. I think that like the the shots that it seems like you said that you skipped in that scene. Um, <laughs> some of my favorites because you see like all of this beautiful dancing with all these different people and like the same color scheme and doing the same dances and it's very visual I loved it yeah it did make make me miss ballroom dancing I took a class in college of ballroom dancing and it was so much fun yeah I've always wanted to do that yeah Adam and I have taken a couple classes too um like at local places and it's a lot of fun yeah anyway speaking of the casting one thing that they talked about in the reunion special a lot was that it wasn't so much a a colorblind approach to casting, but just more of like, we want the best person for each role, no matter what race they are. Mm -hmm. And at first, like, I did think it was a little bit weird. And they mentioned like, the queen is black, the king is white, and the son is Filipino. Like, at first, and when I was younger, too, I realized like, that's not realistic. And like, it's not just the three of them. It's all of the different characters. Like, I think it would have probably come across a little more clearly or, I don't know, in a better way if like they had done different races according to families. So like, you know, maybe have all of the the royal family be Filipino or something. And then all of Brandy's family, family, Cinderella's family be black. And then all of you know different things like that but to make it so that it seemed cohesive rather than just like everybody is a different race altogether (laughs) but I did appreciate that they were saying they really just wanted the the right person for each role no matter what their race was um and to to increase that diversity yeah well that's like not necessarily true for all of it like I read a lot that they definitely wanted a black Cinderella because there was a Disney exec who had posited that after Whitney was going to play the fairy godmother that they should just cast someone like Jewel to play Cinderella who's a white woman a pop star um and uh they were like the producers of the movie were like no we want to have a black Cinderella you know there might be some backlash because there's two black leads in this but it doesn't matter to us yeah well Um, yeah that's true they did specify they did specifically want a black cinderella but they did say that the lady who played the stepmother they were bernadette peters yep they were very hesitant to cast her as the stepmother because they were afraid that having a white stepmother and a black stepdaughter that people would see that as um like racially motivated and Mm -hmm. so almost did not cast her as the stepmother because she was white and they were afraid they'd get too much backlash for it yeah but i think that the reason why it's success successful and why it, like never has bothered me that like the royal family was completely different is that they like never ever address race in this movie and i think that a lot of times when you have a diverse cast what ends up happening is that like one of the things that the black actors go through, like they go through racial trauma in the movie. And like, that's part of the whole experience of the movie. Like that's part of the tale almost always. And that's just not something we get with this. And like, for example, the prince is Filipino and oftentimes like up until crazy rich Asians, we never really saw an Asian man who was in like a romantic lead role. You like, just don't see that. They're not like um, romanticized that way. And so like, I, like it's never bothered me because to me it was just like 
this is just the cast and we never talk about it and we never address it. Like even when they're putting the shoes on at the end and um, Jason Alexander, who plays Lionel, um, made a comment that he was like laughing as they were shooting that scene as he's going down a line, trying it on all of these different women. And he's like, well, he's laughing to himself. And like in real life, you could definitely like knock out half these women. But <laughs> I thought about that. <laughs> in the movie, like I think to me, like I've always just bought into it because it's just like we never talk about it and so it's just like we're trying it on all the young women like there's it's just the way it is yeah which like it's funny that the stepmother tried on the shoe because Mm -hmm. obviously like you know disregarding race she's way older than the guy than the lady that the prince danced with like sure he would know by looking at her okay you're way too old (laughs) yeah and like Lionel Jason Alexander's character spoke with her at the ball as the prince was dancing with Brandy like (laughs) we know it's not her yeah I laughed at that too I was thinking like okay he could just eliminate literally all the white women in this whole lineup and (laughs) yeah anyway but no it didn't really bother me either I just thought that it wasn't as realistic as I think it could have been had they cast like by family different races but it doesn't matter either way yeah Speaking of the casting, um, I know, so we've already talked about Brandy Norwood. She actually has a last name, as it turns out. Who knew? Uh, not me. Um, Brandy was Cinderella. We've already mentioned Whitney Houston. May she rest in peace as the fairy godmother. Um, you've mentioned the stepmother who was played by Bernadette Peters, which mm-hmm. um, she was in Annie. Have you seen Annie? I've seen a version of Annie. Which one the- are you about? The old one with like Carol Burnett. Um, the one with no. curly hair Annie or straight hair Annie? Curly haired Annie. Okay. I've only seen straight hair Annie. Okay. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but Bernadette Peters is in that, which was shocking to me. But she also voices Sophie, who's the uh, chubbier cartoon character in Anastasia, which I did not know. I have not seen Anastasia probably since A Sleepover at Your House. So wow. I- okay. So we should be watched that one too. <laughs> I think one of the best roles that was cast was Whoopi Goldberg as Queen Constantina. Yeah, <laughs> agree. <laughs> I loved her little squeaks that she would do, like, ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was really yeah. funny. She was my favorite character. <laughs> That's a good choice. She's a good choice. You may have, I don't know if you noticed that her jewelry might have looked different than everyone else's in the movie. It <laughs> turns out. That when she got on set and they like gave her all of this costume jewelry that they had made for her, she was like, I look, if I'm being the queen, we're getting real jewels. <laughs> so she talked to Harry Winston or their company, whoever that guy is, I guess he's got a jewelry company. And um, they loaned her like something like $60 million worth of jewelry and provided three security guards on set so to make sure that nothing would happen to it. Wow. <laughs> Whoopi's like, look, if I'm gonna be the queen, I need the real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> she's and she's got some good stuff on. Yeah, I know, but I did not notice that her jewelry was any different than anybody else's. <laughs> she's the queen. <laughs> yeah, I would say the only jewelry I even noticed the whole time was Cinderella's tiara and necklace that she wore at the ball, and I only remember the necklace because it was crooked. <laughs> it wasn't like laying flat on her chest. It was like. Like the the pendant in the middle was like part of the way up her neck, and it was bothering me. <laughs> the things you notice, <laughs> but, but I do think the uh, tiara was pretty. Yeah, it was. Yeah, very gorgeous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you you know who King Maximilian was, right? You recognize the actor Victor Garber? Yeah. So actually, straight hair Annie Victor Garber played the father or stepfather i can't remember daddy warbucks yeah daddy warbucks yep i couldn't remember what his name was (laughs) i didn't know that i knew that he'd like done theater pretty much like up until 97 and then he like switched over with titanic and cinderella were like his kind of two overlapping movies but paolo montalban who plays the prince said that victor garber that came from a shoot in Mexico where he was in a water for like hours on a time at end. And he said, he didn't know if that movie was going to be any good. And then it turned out it was Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What, yeah. what character Victor Garber played in Titanic? He was the boat designer. Oh, the yeah. boat maker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then of course he was in legally blonde later. 
Yeah. Uh, but oh, yeah. I, this is my favorite role of his, obviously. So Paolo, he, I, I was watching in the in the special that it said he was late to his audition mm-hmm. because he was an understudy on Broadway for The King and I, which did mm-hmm. not realize until now that that was also a Rodgers and Hammerstein. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he was the understudy for The King and I. And that's why he was late to his audition. But they didn't care because they thought his voice was perfect. And he has such, like, a smooth voice in this. Mm-hmm. It just really, like, he's he's hot. I have to say it. Like, he was great as the prince. I loved him. <laughs> he has perfect teeth. Did you know <laughs> He does have perfect teeth. A really great smile. Yeah, they're, like, super straight and, like, even. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what I noticed was how pretty his teeth were. <laughs> yeah. And I think he was probably the best choice. And I don't... He, like, did Mortal Kombat after this and some stuff since then. But I think this was probably, like, his most notable role. Um, yeah. And definitely one of his favorites. I don't think I know him from anything else. No. Uh, I'm sure you recognize Jason Alexander, who played Lionel, correct? Okay, so... It's funny that you say one of the producers was also on The Princess Diaries because I was sure that Jason Alexander was in The Princess Diaries. And I was like, was he Paolo the hair sl- the hairstyle? <laughs> and I was like, clearly that's not the same guy. And it's not. But no. they look so similar to me. And then I was like, maybe he is related to the guy who was the 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 count, not the count, the guy of Genovia who would sing the anthem all the time. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. But I was like, they look. He looks like a mix between the two of them, and I was like, what part did he play in Princess Diaries? Apparently, none. No, he's not in that one. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for sure he was. No. Have you seen Seinfeld though, where he plays George Costanza? Of course. No. I mean, I I know he was in it, but I haven't seen it. No. Well, according to like everyone, he was a big theater kid, and then he was in Seinfeld. This this movie came out. Um, Seinfeld, the last season was, I think, in 98 or 99. So this was, like, at the height of Seinfeld. And they cast him. And they wrote a whole bunch of his lines in Cinderella, sort of, like, in reference to George Costanza. And they found out that he wanted something completely different. He was like, I don't want to be George right now. Yeah. Um, understandable. Yeah. Because, like, if you get too typecast in a role, right? Like, that's just all you're going to play for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, I think of, um, shoot, what was his name? Harry Potter. Daniel Daniel Radcliffe yeah like not wanting to play roles similar to Harry Potter and like um shoot the guy who played Edward Cullen not wanting to play vampire Robert Pattinson yeah whatever you know well obviously this has worked because I can't even remember their real names they're typecast (laughs) yeah like that's who they are yeah yeah so that I can see why he wouldn't want to play a similar role as that to show that he has range I guess in his acting abilities and he really does. His weird accent and the fact that he's the only one with it is so funny. Yeah, I didn't even catch on that he's the only one with an accent. I mean, like, Bernadette Peters has sort of like a weird transatlantic, like, elevated accent. And he's got whatever you want to call that. Yeah, but, Bernadette Peters, her stepmother character, has a Moira Rose type accent. Yes. <laughs> like I want to say elevated and, like, posh <laughs> yeah i want to say transatlantic but i don't know if i'm actually using that word right or not so yeah i don't know but yeah so in the reunion jason alexander said that they, he was approached to play a, a oh sounds fun but he's like i know i'm not gonna be cinderella and i'm <laughs> not gonna be the prince so who else is there yeah <laughs> and he said that they had told him you're going to be the prince's um what do they say like valet or something and he was like the prince doesn't have a valet but so he was like i didn't realize that they were essentially writing in a new character for me yeah yeah he's like i'm not gonna be cinderella and i'm not gonna be the (laughs) who else is there (laughs) the king please (laughs) i he's i think my favorite character if i had to if i had to name one he's just so funny in this um and then the last two are uh calliope and minerva who are the Mm -hmm. stepsisters and those are played by Vian Cox and the late Natalie DeSell Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they, the chemistry between them as sisters is just out of the world. Yeah, I really liked them too, but I felt like 
the lady who played Calliope was noticeably much older than the girl, the lady who played Minerva. I don't yeah. know how, how different in age they really were, but it almost to me seemed like the lady who played Calliope was a little too old to be playing a daughter with the mother being as old as she or as young looking as she was. Wow. Uh, well, so V.N. Cox <laughs> was born in 1963, which means that at the time of this movie's release, she was 34. Yes, I would say she looks like it. Yeah, but she definitely looks older. Who played Minerva. Um, Natalie DeSell Reed uh, was born in 67, so she was only four years younger. Hmm, okay. But she's gorgeous and... Um, yeah, I like... She had such beautiful skin. <laughs> like, super clean. Does. Like, clear, smooth, gorgeous skin. Yeah. Um, it turns out, so they had hired, um, obviously it's a very diverse cast, and black people have a very different hair texture and, like, styling needs than white people's hair. Sure. And um, they had only hired black hairdressers for Brandy and Whitney, Whitney's roles in this movie. And when Natalie got on set, she was like, I'm sorry, like, this isn't going to work for me. I need someone else here. Mm-hmm. Um and so the producer, uh, Deborah Martin Chase, like went out and hired a specific, like out of budget, just because she recognized the need. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I like, I just like that detail. Like I like that they made these accommodations in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Just like an all-star cast. I actually don't know who did the casting for this. I guess it was just all the producers based on like the interviews that I read. To me, there's not like an off performance by anyone in this movie. Like everyone in their roles gives like an A plus performance to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Which like, yeah, I don't I don't know how you do that so well in something <laughs> like this. Um I think something else that it sounded like worked well for them was that they rehearsed this as if it were a Broadway production. So they ran through the whole movie like at one time mm-hmm. so everyone would know like what's happening and everything and like it really became an ensemble cast of like everyone doing their best part all together like no egos no one like trying to outshine anyone um, yeah definitely worked yeah which sometimes i feel like it's weird when movies when they're when they're shooting movies that they'll film scenes out of order that just feels mm-hmm. like you should do it like a play and just run the whole thing start to finish <laughs> yeah but then there's like always uh, it sounds so hard to make a movie you've got like a million different schedules you have to work with yeah. turns out whitney houston was only there like four total days of their shoot so wow <laughs> they she was look this was it was at the height of her career as much as it was at the height of brandy's career at the time and so like she had no time she was stretched very thin yeah throughout this yeah so i guess if we move on to the musical numbers, which one of the songs was your favorite? I Similar to the casting, I don't think there's a bad song in this. Um, but if I had to pick one, it would either be... No, it would definitely be impossible, slash it's possible, like the trade-off between those two, which is the duet between Whitney and Brandy. Mm-hmm. Or um, in my own little corner, uh, which is Brandy's own little song, where she's just like singing about all these different fantasies she's had as she's just like sitting at home and like trying to envision what her life would be like if she weren't trapped in this situation. Mm -hmm. So in the reunion episode, they had somebody on there giving an interview and I can't remember if it was one of the producers or who it was exactly, but they were talking about that song and the person was saying that it's very, very common in almost all musicals to have a particular song that shows the viewers what the true desire of the main character is. Mm-hmm. And so that song in my own little corner is that staple song where the viewer understands what her true desire was. And as soon as she's done singing the song, the first words out of her mouth after that is a prayer that she's saying, I wish I could go to the ball. So that's yeah. how I know what her true desire for the movie is. And anyway, I just thought that little piece was interesting that most musicals have that that song that that's what the the point of it is is to show the main character's true desires and i think something that i liked a lot about this adaptation is that she like doesn't mention like marriage or love or anything in that song she's always like she's talking about an african safari like traveling around the world seeing things and doing things and it's never about like finding her true love really it's just like i want to get out there and see the world yeah Um, do it for me 
Yeah. And I think that stuck with me a lot. So. Yeah. What was your favorite? So my favorite one was, I didn't realize it was called it until now, Stepsister's Lament. <laughs> I just I just labeled it as, uh, why would a fellow want a girl like her? <laughs> because that was the first <laughs> line that they kept saying, and I didn't know what it was called. Uh-huh. But I thought that was funny, just having the two stepsisters, like, hiding in the bushes and obviously singing really loud that, like, the prince would have obviously heard them. <laughs> yeah. But... And there's, like, the bit where they're, like, they realize that and they, like, crouch down and get a little bit quieter as they sneak a little bit closer. Yeah. They fall in the fountain at the end. hmm Yeah. That was my favorite favorite song. Just, That's a good choice. Yeah. The, the duo of the stepsisters is hard to beat. They're funny, but they also just are so ridiculous. They are. Yeah. And I love their introduction to this movie, their interchange with Brandy, which we both noted um, in our notes for this. This is like her, the first thing that Brandy says in this, her stepsisters ask her which one of them looks better in a hat. And, and her response was, I don't know a lot about hats, but I don't think it flatters either of you. And their yeah. indignation <laughs> at that is so funny. I saw that and I said to myself, ooh, sick burn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was really funny. Which, like, I think the original Cinderella, there was no mention or there was no dialogue of where, like, Cinderella would talk back. But, like, Mm -hmm. I could see the stepmother being like, oh, Cinderella, don't say something like that or don't talk back to your sisters or don't, you know, that kind of thing, like, reprimand Mm -hmm. her for comments like that. But she just let it fly and I thought it was funny. (laughs) Yeah. I again that's one of the things I like about this version is that I think that we get a lot more um, insight into the characters the side characters and even Cinderella and like how compassionate and caring she is and it just gives a lot of flavor I think to the story overall Mm -hmm. what would you say your favorite scene of the movie is man oh god Andy this it's all so good (laughs) but in the same vein that Lionel's my favorite character I think my favorite scene is like the prince is giving a ball in his transition from the castle to like reading off this list of everything that they need mm-hmm. and then the dance number that they have in that where they've got like the giant cardboard cake that they're wildly swinging around and dancing on top of barrels and looking at all of the different um like colors of fabrics that they could have like I think he that is a very funny song um, that wasn't included in the original version. And I think it might be my favorite scene. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jason Alexander was talking a lot about that scene in the reunion episode. And he was saying that like, he's like, I don't remember all of the little details about what else was on that list, but he said it took him so long to remember the prince's full name that he would get (laughs) wrong every time. (laughs) I was wondering about that because I I looked up the full name, which mm-hmm. is should I say it? Yeah. Okay. Prince Christopher Rupert Windevere Vladimir Carl Alexander Francois Reginald Lancelot Herman Gregory James. <laughs> Herman. Herman. <laughs> Herman. That's why I love that song. And then they do it again for the Queen's name. Like, mm-hmm. mm. yeah, so good. So in that reunion interview. Uh, Jason Alexander said he thought it was interesting that the name Lancelot was included. He said he thought it was just a funny, like, I don't know, name to include compared to all the other ones. Yeah. Very, like, medieval yeah, yeah. British. Yeah. But he said it, it, it was, like, take after take after take of him still getting the name wrong. Like, it's a hard name. I don't know how you memorize that and, like, the list of cheeses and everything. Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite scene was when Calliope was dancing with the prince and her just like giggling and snorting and just being like really unattractive. I thought that whole scene was funny. Yeah, both of them dancing with him. Like, <laughs> um, Minerva like pulling him close and like whispering the poem in his ear. And she's like <laughs> hugging him way too close. Um, <laughs> it's poetry. <laughs> yeah. And I. I also love like right after that, you know, whenever the Cinderella walks in and she just like looks absolutely stunning. And then you see the prince's reaction to that. And he's just like, whoa, she yeah. looks great. So one thing that I think is funny 
in all adaptations of Cinderella, whether it's a Cinderella story, the original Cinderella, this version of Cinderella, whatever it is, even a loosely based story around Cinderella, there is always the factor of the common girl who dresses up and she is somehow unrecognizable, even though like Brandy literally did not have on a mask or anything to conceal who she was. She just had like a nice hairdo and a nice dress. And people couldn't figure out who she was. Yeah. Like the stepsisters being like, that girl was. And then the stepmother, like, there's something familiar, but I don't know who it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Like Cinderella story with Hilary Duff. All she is wearing is like a tiny little mask. I'm like, so tiny. Do not know who that is. Her hair, even in that one, well, I guess it's curlier and poofier, but you're it's right. Really like, different. I, yeah. Like, I, I know that. I feel like it's easy um, for us to say that to be just like, you wouldn't recognize this person. But also sometimes like when someone changes their hair color or their hairstyle, you don't recognize them from this, the outset. Um, I guess, but their face is the same. I don't Yeah, know. but she was wearing makeup and they'd probably never seen her in makeup before. I guess not. I don't know. Did we, which made me also think, did we ever have a masquerade themed dance or prom in high school i vaguely remember getting a mask for a masquerade type dance i do not have the same memory okay well i don't know what it was for but i know my grandma had a ton of different like dress up masks Mm -hmm. and i remember borrowing one i think and maybe it's for middle school dance i don't know was it for a dance or like a costume day or something i can't remember it was something with the masquerade theme i don't know Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter We'll have to talk to our friends to see. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I think that's about all of my notes. Yeah. I think my other thing with this movie is just, like, I love the changes that they made to Cinderella. But I also, like, there's just so many quotes in this that I love. And one of my very favorites that I, every now and then, I'll just say in my head, fall to roll and fiddle dee dee, fiddly faddly foddle, all the wishes in the world are poppycock and twaddle. I would not say that. <laughs> I um, I don't like every now and then periodically I'll just hear in my head fall to roll and fiddles dee dee. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> Cinderella. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. There's just so much of that. Like, I can't keep lying to you, mother. There are laws against that. <laughs> Overall, I think yeah, great adaptation. Like, so funny, excellent cast, everything. Yeah. Well, should we rate it? I reckon we should. Five pumpkin carriages. How many would you rate this movie? Absolutely. Like five out of five. (laughs) The only note that I have on this whole movie, the only thing I don't like is that at the very end, whenever um, the prince is trying to get through the door and they unlock it and Cinderella's not there, it cuts to her outside and you see her drop a bag and it seems that it's implied that she had sort of decided to run away on her own volition. Oh, I thought she had gone to the market or gone to town. No, she's carrying a suitcase and like it spills open when she's outside. And that's like my point. Like, I think a big part of this that could have been played up a little bit more was that she had decided to like listen to her fairy godmother and just like make the change for herself. And it's just not really highlighted at all. I I didn't even catch that. Yeah. So I like that's my one tiny note and that's it. So I five out of five, six yeah. out of five, if I'm allowed, like, I love <laughs> this. It holds up. Okay. Well, you know how I feel about musicals. So I have to rate this one according to my musical scale, <laughs> but, but I did enjoy this one more now than I did growing up. And I think it was probably just because you wanted to watch it all the time. <laughs> I was like, all right, can we pick something else? <laughs> no. Anyway, but I would rate this one 3.9 pumpkin carriages. Wow. Okay. So I was I was worried that you were still going to hate it to this day, but I'm very glad you didn't. No, I think enough time has passed that I didn't like totally remember. I mean, obviously, I know the Cinderella plot line, but I didn't yeah. remember enough of it that it was like, okay, I remember all of this. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was I was pleasantly surprised. That's <laughs> that's so funny. I was talking to my friend Chesna, who also loves this movie. She like got it on DVD, and we watched it together before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like. I, I told her, like, if you want to come on the podcast, you can. But she's out of town. And she's busy. And she couldn't. And I was like, 
I just wanted somebody to gang up with me against Andy just <laughs> in case she still hates this movie. No, I, I definitely didn't hate it. But then again, I'm also just not much of a musical person. So it's not one yeah. of my favorite movies for sure. But it wasn't yeah. bad. No. Um, but anyway, yeah, I will say, though, that you are the only person I know who has seen this movie, <laughs> let alone like still watches it, I guess, regularly and has a physical copy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. worth every minute (laughs) yeah i don't know who else has watched this version Uh, a lot of people i think it's it was bigger in like a lot of um black families uh and a lot of people who were probably slightly older than we were yeah because it did come out in 97 you know yeah and it we were still really young and it first aired like it was a made for tv movie right so it like first aired as like a disney's revival of their sunday imagination movie thing that they did on abc Hmm. where they would show a disney movie on sundays on abc yeah and um so like they showed it the one time on tv and then it like came out on vhs later so if you didn't see it that first time there was a good chance that you might not see it ever yeah so well that was enjoyable so okay Next week, we have the short the short stories in the book Stranded by Val McDermott. We are reading Breathtaking Ignorance, which is the fourth story in the book. And we're reading Mittel, which is the first story in the book because they're both really short. Mm-hmm. And then the book for the month is In Five Years by Rebecca Surley. Um, have you gotten your copy yet? Of the short story collection? I no. have not, but I can ah. read it online. The book? No. <laughs> okay. Well, we hope to see you for those. Yeah. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Marianne and Wanda. We would love to hear your feedback and if you have any books or topics for us to review. You can reach us at Marianne and Wanda Podcast on Instagram or send us an email at Marianne and Wanda Podcast at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.